I'll show you politics in America. Here it is, right here. I think the puppet on the right shares my beliefs. I think the puppet on the left is more to my liking. Hey, wait a minute. There's one guy holding up both puppets. Shut up. Go back to bed, America. Your government is in control. Read my lips. Just send your cash. There has never been so many lies, so much deception. (laughs) (laughs) Doesn't anyone notice this? I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. (laughs) Please clap. It's time for the Mike Madison Show, a new breed of conservative talk. Now, here's your host, Mike Madison. Showtime! All right, good morning. Welcome to the Mike Madison Show here at 103.9 WYAB. Thanks for joining me. This is actually my first newly recorded show in the new year. I had a couple of weeks off uh, logistics. I am still a road warrior, so uh, logistics did not allow me to record. And then our, our station owner who loads my shows in had the audacity, the audacity to himself go on a family vacation and deprive the listeners of newly recorded Mike Madison shows for a week. But actually, some of that was my problem. I started actually to get a show done last week and ran into computer problems. I need like a full-time tech person on staff. Can't afford them. Uh, maybe I should uh, somehow remotely adopt a, a Philippine tech child or something like that. I, I don't know. It is, it's pretty amazing I've gotten to this point in my life. If I can't point and click at it, I can't fix it. Anyway, good to be back. Certainly a lot of news has transpired over the uh, past couple of weeks heading into the new year. And boy, I'll tell you what, 2024. Uh, uh, this is going to be something to behold. We already kind of know what to expect this is going to be a, the monster year of media and the political class making sure that we hate each other to the maximum degree. We, we just know this. They, they'll get us to hate not only each other, but other countries, other groups. Uh, this will be a year of just a master class in manipulation of the American mind going into 2024. I've seen a lot of people saying, you know, 2024 is it. If we don't win now, and this is going on on both sides. If Trump is not stopped, it's the end of democracy as we know it. You may never get to cast another vote again. There's a lot of us sitting out here going, well, we're not really sure if our votes are even counting right now. So does it really matter? Should we just allow them to just pick somebody and put them into office? On the, uh, on the right, it is, if Donald Trump does not win this next election, that's it for the United States of America. It's over. I will try to walk everybody back during the course of this year from that. Donald Trump will not save you from anything. Stopping Donald Trump will not save you from anything. There's going to be a whole lot of hyperbole on both sides. This is going to be the year of all kinds of clickbait. I've got a ton of different news stories that I want to get to and just hit on briefly. i got to play some catch-up here. One of them is the, the Epstein list. And this one I found really interesting. Now, they're releasing, it seems like they're releasing several different tranches of this list. And I'll be honest with you, I was, 
I was very interested in the Epstein story when nobody else was really covering it. And now that it's everywhere, it's it's not that it's less interesting to me. It's very important. What's really fascinating to me about the Epstein thing is that I know so many people who can see what the Epstein operation was. The Epstein operation was an intelligence services most likely run by Mossad, the Israeli Secret Service, excuse me, not us, you know, uh, CIA, the Israeli Mossad running a human trafficking child sex ring to blackmail world leaders, and particularly those here in the United States who are people who make, uh, set opinions and make policies. And I know a lot of people who can see that, but at the same time, they love Israel. <laughs> they, they really just, they believe we should go out there and do a ton of fighting and dying and supporting and sending weapons and sending money to the same country that was running this huge child sex trafficking. Is there any possibility, is there any possibility that some of the people that you follow, whether they're your favorite political commentator or your favorite politician, is there any chance that maybe some of them are, number one, either compromised by operations like Epstein, and he's not alone. There's a whole lot of those kinds of com uh, uh, compromising operations going on. What was that guy's name? The, the nice-looking Republican kid in the wheelchair, Madison Cawthorn. Am I saying his name right? He, I saw an interview with him recently where he was explaining the honey traps. You know, these politicians just find themselves and, you know, they're out on a campaign stump or something like that. And they're out in some small town and suddenly three Brazilian supermodels walk in and take a real interest in this politician in some town in Iowa. And Cawthorn was saying, you know, this is not an accident. These things don't just happen. Number one, you're not going to find three Brazilian supermodels in an Iowa cafe or an Iowa bar. And number two, most politicians are not good looking people in the first place. They're probably not going to be that into you. <laughs> so, so we've got this compromise. And the, if they're not compromised by the Mossad and the Epstein operation, and now they are gaslighting people on the right who are supporting what Israel's doing right now, if they haven't compromised them, then APAC is known to be the most powerful lobby organization. Maybe Big Pharma is bigger. I don't know. But APAC is certainly in the top three of lobbying organizations. And so we got a bunch of people out there spouting off how we need to support Israel no matter what, not realizing that the people that taught you to think that way are either on the take or they're, they're compromised. And so if you can understand what the Epstein operation was and then still believe... All of these people telling you, you need to be 100% in support of Israel. I got to tell you, I, I'm not quite sure where your head is at. But what was interesting, the first release of the Epstein files came out. And, of course, we knew some of the people that were going to be on these things, the Bill Clintons, the Prince, uh, what's his name, Andrew. Uh, Alan Dershowitz was on there a lot. But, you know, he was just... <laughs> To, to listen to him, he was just kind of hanging out. I mean, he was Epstein's attorney, I believe, but he didn't do anything wrong. Alan Dershowitz, another one of the Israel first people who was crafting public opinion about what's been going on between Israel and the Palestinians for decades that everybody's listening to. Turns out he's what, what he's on the flight logs like 85 times. I'm so cautious when I talk about Alan Dershowitz because he is an attorney and apparently he loves to sue. Now, I don't know if he's going to hear 
from little WYAB, but I, I want to make sure I always throw an allegedly in there whenever I'm talking about Alan Dershowitz. I can't fade that kind of heat. But what was interesting about the first tranche of stuff that came out was essentially, I saw a lot of people on the right saying, Trump's not on there, <laughs> which apparently was true. Now, the second tranche, this is how I'm referring to these things. I'll be honest, I haven't done a deep dive into it. People are going to explain this better to you than, than I can. But like the second round of uh, stuff that came out, apparently there was something about Trump in there. I don't know if it was just plain. I don't know. None of us really know. That's the thing. There are people who know Donald Trump didn't do anything wrong. And there are people who are, they know that he did do something wrong. I'm here to tell you, I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised, but I might be a little surprised. You know what I mean. But it's, But it was interesting with the first round of revelations that the where we have sunk to in the United States of America was we had people on the right saying, look, my guy's not a pedophile. <laughs> That's the bar we've set for our politicians now. <laughs> my guy was not diddling little girls on Pedo Island. So he's definitely the choice for president. I mean, is that where we have, where we have become, have come to? That's what it is. So anyway, 2024 is going to be quite the year. Uh, I'm, as you can tell, I'm smiling my way through this, kind of laughing at it as I watch people fight over this different stuff and realize just how absurd the whole process has become. I mean, Joe Biden, Joe Biden, given some of his speeches, just I've just seen little snippets of them. There's no way there is no way I am giving a, any amount of time to a Joe Biden speech. I didn't like political speeches before Joe Biden became whatever he is right now. God knows I'm not going to sit through more than a, but, but I'll get a 30-second soundbite. What a weird, just, it's, it's like he checks off every bad mark. He's unimpressive. He's senile. He's corrupt. He's old and uninspiring. I mean, it's just like every negative box you could check off on Joe Biden. Uh, the question is, do they replace him between now and the election? So we'll see, but it is it is going to be it's going to be a rough year. It's interesting over the course of a couple of weeks I've had obviously done what I always do and I clip stories that are interesting to me that I find might not be covered elsewhere. That's what the show is about, trying to talk about things that aren't covered everywhere else. And there was a there's a story that got me real excited on Zero Hedge. And, and I've still got the link saved right now. I'm looking at it right now. It uh, was at zerohedge.com, and it was Bring It Back, Campaign to Restore the Guillotine. <laughs> I think I've been talking about wanting to get into the guillotine business since I got on the air in 2017. I, I've been long fed up with this political class, and i got to tell you, the guillotine seems to have been a pretty effective tool at one point, so I said... There's two businesses I wanted to get into, the guillotine business, and if they built the wall in Mexico, I was going to get in the catapult business because I, I knew that'd be a, that would be a profitable business. But, but I go to this, this, uh, this link now on Zero Hedge for the guillotine story, and it's gone. I get a 404 message. I've never gotten that on Zero Hedge ever. I mean, they cash this stuff for forever, don't they? Just interesting. I wonder who got to them. Who, did get, who got to him to get the guillotine story off there? Maybe that one hit a little too close to home for the elites. And they said, all right, Zero Hedge, we'll let you, we'll let you call out our BS economy. More on that in a minute. 
We'll let you you snarp from the side, but don't give these peasants any ideas and start talking about the guillotines. Uh, if that is the metric, I may be in some trouble. I didn't want to talk real briefly before I take a break here. Uh, Milay, uh, Javier Milay, the libertarian that was elected president of Argentina. We've talked about him a lot here. This is a libertarian-leaning show. And for those of you who are sick of me talking about being a libertarian, I've got a story in just a few minutes where I'll explain to you <laughs> why I keep saying it out loud, because I, I would never want to be, I wouldn't want to be mistaken for a Republican at this point. And I'll show you that in just a second. But Javier Millet, I, I was talking to somebody the other day. They said, you know, one of the problems with libertarians is they just have no faith and you know, they try to hold people to such a high standard. And, and there's something true about that. There's nothing worse than a whiny libertarian who's got this purity test. I've run into some of these characters. Believe it or not, I'm not one of them. You know, I don't agree with everything Rand Paul has done or Thomas Massey has done. I think I believe, I, I probably agree with everything that Ron Paul did. I don't know if I've ever found an exception, but it's very few. But I don't have a purity test. If you're about freedom and shrinking the government down to something small enough to drown in the tub, then I'm with you. We might disagree on other stuff, but I don't care. But, you know, a lot of people, uh, this this Javier Millet guy, he really talks the talk, and apparently he is walking the walk. And, and I want to show you this or tell you about this because this is what draining the swamp actually looks like. It may be happening in Argentina right now when we're witnessing it. Again, don't think I'm getting duped here because there's things about Javier Millet that make me kind of wonder. Uh, there's some things about him that are kind of bothersome. But if these things are true, this is uh, this is in the first 18 days of Javier Millet's administration down in Venezuela. He eliminated 12 out of 21 cabinet posts. He fired 5,000 government employees. Ending, he ended 380,000 government regulations. <laughs> this again, this is in 18 days. He banned woke language in the military. He signed a bill to affirm the right to self-defense down there. He, he uh, signed a bill to legalize homeschooling of children. It's just amazing what, you know, what things in Argentina were not allowed prior to his getting in there. Uh, he has a proposal to punish all riot organizers. Now, this was kind of interesting, and, and I was going to talk about this in a bit anyway, but apparently the thing is, and I'm sure there's still a lot of state benefits that go out to the people of Argentina. They've been a socialist country for a, a period of time, but he's, I don't know if he's enacted to this or just said he's going to do it, but people who block freeways like these nut jobs are doing around uh, Just Stop Oil and now the pro-Palestinian people, uh, he immediately identifies them and cuts them off from all social programs, cuts them off all the welfare or whatever is, you know, welfare-like down in Argentina, which is probably to a whole lot, probably a whole lot of people in Argentina that are on the take from this socialist government down there. But if they block traffic, boom, they're off the rolls. He's got, yeah, it says future welfare cuts for road blocking. He legalized paying contracts in Bitcoin privatization of state-run companies, and opened up the Argentina oil industry. Now, what's going to be very interesting, and see, like I say, I cast a, cast a suspicious gaze towards what's going on in Argentina, the privatization of state-run companies. Now, I don't believe there should be state-run companies, 
But it's going to be interesting to see who ends up with these companies and exactly how that shakes out. That has the opportunity, while I am for the privatization of dang near everything, if there's some accountability, if those, if the businesses that take hold of all of these state-run companies are not still kind of tools of the government or the government are tools of these corporations, that could be a beautiful thing. But I, eh, sometimes we saw in Russia the oligarchs really go in. They went in when the Soviet Union fell. The favored oligarchs went in and picked up a bunch of state-run businesses, former Soviet businesses, for pennies on the dollar. Suddenly they controlled entire sectors of the Russian economy, and they grew up to be, you know, these oligarchs, massively corrupt, living off of these favors that they got from former Soviet Union contacts. So we'll see. We'll see. This is all good news, but I'll say it again. He did this in the first 18 days. Meanwhile, here in the United States, we've got what we think is our big disruptor. People are thinking that Donald Trump's the one that's going to drain the swamp. He didn't not only not drain it, he grew the government. The government grew, military spending grew, the pharmaceutical industry grew, the power of the Federal Reserve grew, the Department of Education grew. (laughs) But there's so many people out there that say, yeah, Mike. Uh, he did. He he didn't know what he was getting into, but he understands now, and he's really going to go in there and fight the deep state. And then I see two weeks ago where Trump and I guess, oh man, have I got the tweet anywhere in here? I tell you, I, I've got to I've got to go in and find it <laughs> because it was it was just oh so yeah here it is here it is I have found it. This is for all the people out there who tell me that, well, yeah, Mike, some of the points you make about the first Trump administration are right, but he's learned his lesson now. He knows what he's doing. He's going to get down to business. Here is a Donald Trump tweet from December 30th, about 10 days ago. Donald Trump says, the FBI headquarters should not be moved to a faraway location, but it should stay right where it is, in a new and spectacular building. In the best location in our now crime-ridden and filthy, dirty, graffiti-scarred capital. They should be involved in bringing back D.C. and not running away from it, especially to violent crime. Especially the violent crime. An important part of my platform for president is to bring back, restore, and rebuild Washington, D.C. into the crown jewel of our nation. Said so we will make it a crime-free and great again. The FBI should not be fleeing for safer yet less convenient environs. It should make where they are now the safest place on earth. All caps, don't move the FBI. That's right. He's back again. I talked a lot about this during his previous term. This is the organization that set up the J6ers, right? This is the organization that tried to frame Donald Trump. This is the organization that has been doing illegal and unconstitutional things to the United States citizen uh, since its founding. And Donald Trump's reaction to that, the, the FBI is literally the deep state. A bunch of unelected bureaucrats with badges and guns that have shown time and time again, not that there aren't some great people working at the FBI. You always have to say that, right? And I've said I've known some FBI agents, really very, very sharp, impressive people, which is great because that means they can go get jobs doing something productive. 
Even if they're working for state police or something, if they want to stick around in law enforcement, you know, I'm not a big policing fan, but if they want to dedicate their, themselves to saving lives somewhere, then go. they should go do that. But the FBI has been corrupt since it got started. This is not a new phenomenon. I've talked at length about this. I'm running out of time in this segment. i got to go anyway. But Donald Trump, who supposedly, air quotes here in the studio, learned his lesson about how to fight the deep state, is still out there hawking a brand new headquarters for the FBI. So there's your juxtaposition. Javier Mille in the first 18 days is slashing, slashing, slashing his government. Donald Trump, after four years, grew the government, and he's got plans to empower the deep state even further, should he be reelected. I'll be right back. Don't stop me now. You know, I'm well on record saying I'm, I'm not necessarily a, a voter. <laughs> There's many times I have either not voted or, you know, I've voted for some of these third-party candidates. One of the things this political season that's interesting is the gnashing of teeth about them kicking Trump off ballots. Since the last time I was on air, they, I guess they took him off the main ballot. I don't know if he's going back. I mean, it's pretty well known that the Supreme Court is probably going to restore his eligibility for all ballots anyway. So this is, this is some of the political theater that they did. Colorado, I believe, has already said they're going to put him back on. I'm even a little confused on this. Is this for the primary? They're taking his name off? Or is it for the general? Because he's not even the... He's not even been anointed yet. Now, he, he will be. <laughs> he will be. But I was even a little unclear on this because I look at these stories and I go, well, they're, you know, this is political theater, the Supreme Court. This is all just, it's, it amounts to nothing. There were so many things during Trump's term that everybody clutched their pearls about and got all exercised about. And I just, while I was watching it unfold, I was like, this isn't going to happen. The wall was one of those things. I was, you know, I was ambivalent on the wall. I'm for immigration for controlling our borders for sure, but I just knew a wall was never going to be built. I sure as hell knew Mexico wasn't going to pay for it. I was never dumb enough to believe that. But there's just so many things around Trump that just, they create so much frenzy and so much energy for something that is never going to even be an issue. But again, this is the media playbook. This is the Democratic and Republican playbook. It's just, you just get everybody energized. Just get everybody all stirred up. You know, there's the I think we talked about it on the show before, these experiments where they take, you know, 100 red ants and 100 black ants and they put them into a jar and they basically just sit there and they don't really do anything until you just shake the crap out of the jar. Then they start attacking each other. That, that's, that's where we are. That's what we are. We're red and blue ants to them. Now, I just sit on the side and eat popcorn and watch, <laughs> watch everybody go at it with each other. But I'll tell you, in this primary season, I have had a chance to see many interviews. you you got to hand it to Vivek. He's working harder than anybody else. Now, Vivek's another one. It's like, I, it's like I, he says some of the best things. He's going on everybody's shows. He'll talk to anybody, left, right, and he's not a jerk about it. When the leftist confronts him at one of his campaign speeches, he, he engages them, and he's, he's changed some minds. Republicans are missing a huge opportunity. Now, I'm not a Republican, and I don't necessarily 100% trust Vivek, but that may just be his style, and because I'm 
ultra paranoid and cynical. <laughs> but it is a slam dunk to me watching from the outside. If I was a Republican, who should be the nominee? Vivek actually, this is a weird one, he reads books. He's like a smart guy. Now, I know everybody wants the, the Trump revenge tour. Now, that's going to get you four years of absolutely nothing but chaos. But I know that's what most people want. Vivek would be the kind of thing you slip in and actually get what you want in government, or at least have a shot at it. Vivek's not trying to build the FBI, a brand new headquarters for a billion dollars. He says he will shut down the FBI. Now, whether he can do that or not, whether he'd be successful at that or not, at least he gets the concept. I mean, it's not even close for all of the people I know who support Trump. When I hear them talk about all the things they want this country to be, Vivek at least talks about those things. He's actually somebody who understands the things that need to be done. Trump, it's all about revenge. Because my enemies hate Donald Trump so much, I have to love Donald Trump to go against my enemies so I can watch them do pitch battles. Now, by 2028, after four more years of Trump, you'll realize you got absolutely nothing accomplished, just like the first four years. But boy, I guess it'll be great to be able to sit in and watch the show. For me, I'd rather have actually some results. But I wanted to talk about this real quick. As I said earlier, I said I'd, I talk about being a libertarian on the show because I don't want to be confused with a Republican. And boy, I, I think I kind of called this one. Maybe it, it didn't quite take the shape that I told you about. Uh, the people of Texas had a big petition out there to secede from the country, right? Texit. And, and I, I said, that's great energy. I love to see it. Wouldn't it be great if Texas was its own state and actually controlled its borders and gave people Second Amendment and First Amendment rights? Now, Texas has got its problems, too. But I told you, I said, one of the things that's going to happen is that the, the establishment Republicans, particularly if Donald Trump wins, the, the Republicans aren't going to. The Republicans run in Texas aren't going to leave the country while they have a Republican president. So I said, you know, even if they got this thing on the ballot, if Donald Trump was the president, they wouldn't leave because it would be too embarrassing to to a Republican president to, to have lost one of the biggest and most productive states in the country. So they'd sit on it for a while and wait until there's another horrible Democrat in there, and then they would try to crank it back up again. Well, it turns out they're not even going to get that opportunity. Why? Because the Texas state GOP is actually stopping them in their tracks. Now, I don't have the particulars. I just ran into another dead link. It's been taken down since I clipped this from my show notes a couple of weeks ago. But it is the Texas Grand Old Party, the Republican Party in Texas, that is either trying to get this thing off of the ballot or not have it considered or sideline it or whatever. It's not the Democrats. It's not the World Economic Forum that's stopping them. It's the establishment Republican Party. And I told you that the biggest enemy to a Texas movement or any state that wants to secede from the union is going to be establishment Republicans in that state. Because they, they like the game as they've got it going on right now. This connection with Washington, D.C. and all the power and the bennies and all the funds that flow from D.C. to states. That's why Mississippi will never be able to secede. <laughs> what, we get something like $18 billion a year from the federal government? <laughs> They're not plugging that hole anytime soon. So this is why I don't ever want to be confused with being a Republican, because Republicans are actually at the highest levels. I'm not talking about the voters out there that might identify with Republican, although I cannot 
fathom why anybody still professes to be either a Republican or a Democrat. But that GOP, the Republican Party that actually controls the show, that may be trying to shove a Nikki Haley down your throat for the love of God, that party is not your friend. All right, I'm going long on all these segments. Got to take a break. I'll be right back. All right, we are back. This is the Mike Madison Show, 103.9 WYAB. Do I sound like a guy who's got a lot of pent-up stuff inside me? I haven't been able to talk about just rapid-fire news over the past couple of weeks. I, I didn't even realize I had this much energy to do it, but I'm, I'm, I'm overflowing. I'm not going to have near enough time to get to everything I want to. We'll follow up on tomorrow. Some other news that dropped during the break. Uh, the, some of the charges against Sam Bankman-Fried, the guy with the FTX... Uh, theft, the fraud, the Ponzi scheme of, of uh, SBF. I've watched some documentaries on that uh, during the holidays. Very interesting thing. And there's all kinds of speculation, you know, very tied to the DNC. But what I saw a lot when they dropped these charges against Sam Bankman Freed, what I saw on the right, which is not, they're not wrong. They were saying, oh, yeah, see, he's, he was known to be the largest uh, supporter of the Democratic Party. And I believe that is true. He was talking before his arrest and the implosion of FTX about putting $1 billion into the 2024 elections. But what was interesting in watching those documentaries, somebody did an interview with him about all these political uh, contributions. And they said, boy, yeah, we can tell you donate to a lot of Democrats. And Sam Bankman-Fried from his own mouth said, oh, I I donate just as much to Republicans, too. It's just every contribution I give to a Republican is dark money. And it was interesting because what he said was, you know, he lives out in Silicon Valley or, you know, actually he, he didn't live there, but he's he's a creature of Silicon Valley. Right. A lot of lefties around him. He was part of this. Uh, what is it called? Uh, altruistic capitalism or something like that. One of these feel good con jobs. And so he's got a lot of lefty friends. And so basically what he said was, I didn't want people screaming at me when they saw that I made contributions to Republicans. So I just did it in dark money. See, all the people on the right think they've really uncovered this big Democrat scheme. It's just another one of these things where everybody thinks the other side is doing something horrific when the truth is your side's doing it too. And SBF SBF was no different. He just gave dark money contributions to Republicans. Uh, I wanted to get into a little economic stuff, too. Before I do, the the pro-Palestinian protesters are at it, and I'm telling you, they are doing everything in the world— everything they can think of to an extreme just to piss people off. And it's absolutely horrific. I am somebody who my heart bleeds for what's going on to the Palestinian people right now, and this sets me apart largely on conservative radio because, again, conservatives are led by people who are probably either bought out by APAC or compromised by an operation similar to Epstein. And you follow these people not ever connecting those dots and going, maybe they're not telling us that this is good for America because it's good for America. Maybe they're telling us that supporting Israel is good for America because they've been paid to tell us it's good for America to support the Israeli government. I love the people of Israel, that, that the ones that aren't abusing 
aren't abusing their citizenship over there and taking people's homes. I'm not real big fans of the settlers who just walk in and take a Palestinian home, but I've got no problems with Jews, no problem with Israeli people, no more than I have with French people or Peruvian people or, or Americans. But it is horrific to me what's going on and is still going on since last time I was on air. The, the, the casualty count is huge. I believe there are they're now reporting 10,000 children with missing limbs now, not to mention the ones that have been killed. It's absolutely horrific. And I have this show where I try to convince people to look at things a little different. And I've got listeners that I couldn't even, around Christmas time, I couldn't even get them to wrap their minds around the idea that murdering women and children is not a good thing around Christmas. That's how bad I am at influencing thought. They stuck to their guns. People were sending me clips about how Israel is justified in this bombing campaign and every Palestinian deserves to die. It was during Christmas time, and I, I gave up. I mean, I don't, I'm not going to engage in that stuff, but it just kind of hit me. I was like, isn't this kind of supposed to be our time where we, we pause and reflect and think about the birth of Christ and, you know, he's the Prince of Peace and everything and goodwill towards men? feel like a weird time to be really cheering on the wholesale slaughter of an entire population of 2.5 million people, many of whom are children and women. No, people just didn't care. They've just cheered on Israel all the way through. But the Palestinian protesters, believe me, they're, they're not doing the movement any favors to the point that I believe, I'll put on my coincidence theory hat here, uh, you know how the FBI led uh, the January Sixers into doing something that then they could point to publicly and make them look bad. Now, they didn't make them look bad to me. We got enough gripes with uh, Washington, D.C. to have done a whole lot more than, than what took place on January 6th. I hearken back to the guillotines. I mean, I think they should have rolled up guillotines. Just stood behind them and kind of, you know, that, that motion you make where you, you take your two fingers and you point at your eyes and then at their eyes. Just stand next to a guillotine and do that. You know, I see you. I think that would have been pretty interesting. But anyway, um, you know, the FBI set up uh, the J6 people to be kind of, you know, make them look bad, create some violence and get, get the mob to join in with it. Uh, I believe that same kind of thing is happening with the movement, uh, the pro-Palestinian movement. Now, the left is notorious for some of these horrific ideas when it comes to protests and things. But they are so bad, they're blocking highways, they're blocking tunnels in New York. They're doing everything they can, just like the Just Stop Oil people, to make everybody's life miserable, which is a terrible way to try to win people over to your cause. It's so bad that I believe there is, there is probably some Israeli influence in the organization of these protests. Whether it is covert or overt, I don't know. But I would imagine the people saying, hey, you know what we should do, guys? We should go block all of the tunnels and bridges heading into New York City and really piss off about 8 million people today. I would imagine that is somebody who wants to make the people, the uh, sympathy for the Palestinian people look pretty distasteful. And I think it really works. Because I know there's people that say, well, look at the side you're on, Mike. You support the people of Palestine and being free and stopping the Israeli assault. Look at the people you're with. Look at what they're doing. I'm like, you're right. They are horrific. 
I, I can't count on the people on the left to do an intelligent protest, but for sure. There's no doubt about that. But it's so bad that I believe somebody has probably set them up the same way J6ers are set up, the same way that Black Panthers were set up. I mean, it, it has happened over and over and over again. They infiltrate movements and then they do things to uh, discredit them. It may just be a bunch of left-wing nut jobs just really trying to do things to aggravate people, but it's so bad that I believe there's something behind it. Tell you what, I'll take a quick break. We're going to finish up on a little bit of the financial stuff. Another another Republican success during the break. We'll do that when I come back. Stick around. All right, final segment here for the day. They released a jobs report. Oh, then the jobs came out and they were like 400,000, something like that. And it blew away expectations. Boy, it didn't take them like, it was like 30 minutes before I started seeing the stories of people who actually dug into their most recent jobs report. It is a train wreck. I think 800,000 people, 700, 800,000 people in one month left the labor force out of disgust not being able to find anything. Uh, over the last year, I can't remember what the statistic was, 1.6 million full-time jobs have been lost. But all these gig jobs, the number of people holding multiple jobs has never been higher. I mean, <laughs> this jobs report was ugly. 2023 was ugly economically, and it's amazing to watch the media try to sell us on how great what the booming economy is. Soft landing. Uh, yeah, the Zero Hedge had put out a tweet on it. They said, holy blank, full-time workers plunge 1.5 million in one month to the lowest since February 2023. Part-time workers soar 762,000 to the highest on record. Multiple job holders hit an all-time high at 8.565 million people. Multiple job holders. Now, as I said, the Republicans had a had a big win while I was on break from here, House Speaker Mike Johnson told colleagues on Sunday that congressional negotiators have reached a top-line spending figure to avoid a, a federal government shutdown on January 19th. So the, thank goodness we got that, that rock-solid conservative Mike Johnson in there. That, I want you to listen to this. i got to kind of go hurry here. According to a Sunday Dear Colleague letter, the top-line deal, which mostly adheres to a deal reached between the White House and former Speaker Kevin McCarthy, limits discretionary spending to $1.66 trillion overall. Now, remember, this is just the discretionary spending. This isn't entitlements and military, all the stuff that they've got locked in through decades of corruption they force us to pay for every year. This is discretionary spending, $1.66 trillion. Now, listen to this. It also secures $16 billion in additional spending cuts versus the McCarthy deal. And it's about $30 billion less than what Senate Democrats wanted. Now, I don't have time to do the math and didn't do it before the show, but when you were talking about a government that spends 5 to $6 trillion a year, do you know what a $16 billion or $30 billion cut to anything is? It, it is like you walk down the road and you kick a penny. You don't even want to bother to pick it up, right? I mean, I don't. If it's heads up, I'll pick it up. I, I need the luck. We can all use a little help, a little good karma. If it's heads, if it's tails up, I don't touch it. I walk away. 
But the bottom line is it's basically like most of us walking down the road and seeing a penny. That's what they cut. This is what the Republican Party is delivering for you, and they are about to, oh, it's going to be so disgusting, they are about to spend a year of your life, the next 11 months of your life, going out and telling you how they're going to go out and they're going to, they're going to tackle this spending. I'll finish with this real quick. I guess I'll get it in here. Uh, I can't even know why this came up, but why do former presidents get Secret Service details for life? Why are they that valuable? What, what, what happens to the United States, the trajectory, our way of life, our national security, if one of our former presidents was killed or kidnapped? How would that affect the country any differently than an ordinary citizen? Besides all the endless media coverage and pearl, you know, clutching and all this other stuff. I'm just, and I'm not wishing this on any of them publicly. <laughs> but I just wonder, what is the big deal? If, if something were to happen to George W. Bush tomorrow, if he slips on a banana peel or slips on a bar of soap and hits his head in the tub and dies... Okay, well, that's sad to his friends and loved ones. I got big gripes with him. I'm not going to shed a tear. But why, why do they get this, this entourage of limousines and SUVs and, and private jets? And, uh, you, you know, you would talk about these protesters, these Palestinian protesters clogging up traffic. Have you ever been anywhere where a presidential or former presidential motorcade rolls through town? They stop every lane of traffic for miles and miles or whatever route they're going on, and they, they gum it up for hours and hours and hours, displacing and inconveniencing citizens all the time. I don't like the protesters doing it. I don't think we should let the parasites take over the streets anyway. But I swear, I was just looking. I was just thinking, what is it? I mean, my old presidents die they offer nothing to the country. They're not systemically important to the country anymore once they have served their time, except in their own minds and the media's minds and the political class's mind. They've, they've achieved some status. But does it really even matter? That's where I might start cutting costs if I were president. I'll, maybe I'll drop a note to Vivek, get him to add that to his speeches. That's all the time I got. Have a great day. I'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye. Oh,